what other problems do you see and how would a, a Watson administration address these type of issues? What? You know, what, what, just give me maybe like, you know, top two and how would a Watson administration address them? What? I'll give you the top three problems that we've got. Crime, blight, condom, blight condemnations together as one, and drainage. Okay. Drainage is a big deal. Because I'll tell you, let's talk about drainage for a second. Oh, in, please do, because two, we're, two, we're on Wooddale right now. And yep. you know if you if you hock a loogie on, Wood, on, on Wooddale, <laughs> it floods. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it, see, the thing is, right now, we got places in our community that never flooded before ever. That now we got people scared to death when we get a two-hour rain on a Monday morning. Yeah. We got people, look, it's not my district, but I got people live on Cherokee in the Garden District that call me, and you got cars that have water over the bottom line of the door going in and messing up people's cars. My mother has PTSD from 2016. Oh, yeah, you, she's not the only one. There plenty do, plenty do. She, she, I mean, if, if it rains for a couple hours, she's like, uh, and like see, she, she's getting nervous. The thing that I want people to realize and think about is flood insurance. People who have to buy flood insurance live in a flood zone because it's expected that if we get a lot of rain, they would flood. Mm -hmm. In 2016, we had areas up off where Hurricane Bayou is off of Plank Road. Oh. Those folks don't have to have flood insurance. They're the high ground. Oh. Why did they flood? They flooded because the maintenance had not been done on the drainage system My because it rained home. on all of us. My parents' home, when they, when they purchased it, it was not a flood zone. Mm -hmm. So... When it flooded in their home, now they're like, what do we do? Because when yeah. we bought this home, correct, it was told us, okay, you don't need flood insurance because you're not in a flood zone. So they mm -hmm. weren't expecting it. Um, yeah. The previous home that they had was in a flood zone. So they had, mm -hmm. you know, insurance on that. And, you know, they, they rent that out now. Mm -hmm. But with the home that they were in and the area that they got it in, wasn't a flood zone. But yeah. So, flooded. so we got the, the most tragic thing is when people had, had lost of, of where they live and loss of all their possessions. That's first and foremost the worst thing. But then I start getting emails from people who have to pay for flood insurance that are saying, why am I paying five hundred to three thousand dollars in flood insurance? We have the worst flood in record that that we remember mm -hmm. in sixteen and I don't even get water in my yard. Why am I paying for flood they want to get out of having to pay flood insurance because they think the maps are wrong. Yeah. And you got people who should never have to pay for flood insurance because the elevation of the ground where they live that got water in their house. And the whole reason for that is lack of maintenance uh, in these bayous, lack of maintenance in where the pipes are that go underneath streets, just getting stuff cleaned out. There was something that was, you know, in one of these waterways, somebody had a gigantic icy ice machine or something like just dumped in it. And you could see it from from the street. You got Clay Cup Bayou in my district, so I got a whole lot of complaints about that one. That you see a lot of interesting people because just in this conversation, you've had someone who had 10 to 12 washers in their yard, mm. and now you've got an ice. You, I mean, that's you, just you look, hang around some interesting constituents. No, no, it's, look, it's, uh, the thing is, I'm talking about, I've talked to people who have their eyes open, and they're seeing what's going on, and, the, and they, they haven't gotten used to it. And some of these problems we've got are because people gotten used to the problem. You know, you've ever been in somebody's house and it smelled bad when you first went in the house, but you spend a little bit more time no, there and, nose blind and, and you get nose blind to it. People are getting blind to some of the litter and some of the blight and all this kind of stuff. And it's terrible. But I'll tell you what, when you clean it up, or when that house you were in that smelled bad gets aired out, man, wow, my goodness, what a new world we live in now. So these the folks that are out there, because no, no one person. 
certainly, when, if I'm blessed enough to become mayor president, there's no way that these two eyes are going to see every problem in the municipality. I'm going to need to communicate with everybody and listen. And I want everybody to bring their problems to me so I can organize how we attack those problems. But when you just look, my dad laid brick when I was a kid growing up and I remember him and I, I feel just as, just as nerdy as he is, as I thought he was, he laid brick and we would drive through town. And he'd go, people pay money for that. You know, he would look at other people's work and say that that looks <laughs> awful. And just throwing major shit. Exactly. Exactly. So every time anybody that rides with me in a car, every time I go over a bridge, I look, I slow down. I look either way to see what the drainage looks like either yeah. way, just because while I'm there, why don't I check that? Right. You know, I don't necessarily, unless I see some problem, I won't, you know, I won't, my kids won't go, oh, geez, dad, but I'll stop if there's something bad. I'll take some pictures of it and see how we can get it remedied. Right. But I want people to tell me. And every time I meet with people, I tell them, I want you to tell me what the problems are. So, so we can make a list and we can form a game plan so we can move forward. Okay. Now with, uh, being an elected official, you know, you're running for mayor and you, you did bring up COVID as well too, but mm. just things around us are changing. You know, the, the atmosphere in the air, you know, it's been extremely tense this year, mm. you know? And like I said, I think COVID has something to do with that, but also it's just, it's, it, it's, it's a lot of tension as far as uh, race is even concerned mm -hmm. as well too. Mm -hmm. And they've, they've coined this term they, that, you know, America is having this racial reckoning right now. Mm. As an elected official, how are you, are you prepared to deal with the current atmosphere of a racial reckoning? Well, I'll tell you what, first and foremost, I would think, you know, if, if, if those who are listening that don't see I'm white, <laughs> just, just, just to let you know, uh, if you, if you had a white mayor going into an area that's predominantly African American to deliver services that they've been denied for 40 years because it's the right thing to do because they're owed those services. I think first and foremost, that's a great way of starting a conversation and building trust, building trust, not just in me being the mayor president at the time, but government itself, because I'm telling you what the problems that are up in North Baton Rouge, where you see blighted buildings or condemned buildings or blight or in old South or in Gardier or out in the country or anywhere where there's problems that didn't happen overnight. No. So a lot of these places it's been 40 years in the making and in, in, you know, it shouldn't take, I mean, there's a lot that could have been done in the last four years that hadn't been done, yeah. but you got to be real aggressive. I'd like to do what I think should be done in four years. I'd like to do as much as we can to be aggressive and take care of it in the first year and be out there side by side with people. And a lot of that, as you said, when we started out with table talk of having a discussion back and forth, we're talking about ideas, we're sharing ideas. And when I get out, when I go out to go clean something up or go meet with somebody, I will, anybody that comes up, I'll start a conversation with them. And that's just me. I'm, I like to think I never met a stranger because I'll go up and start talking to anybody. Right. And ask questions and listen. Something that not a lot of politicians do. They, they like to tell you. They don't like to hear from you. So I listen and I talk to folks. And over time, you make some great relationships with people. And they introduce you to other people. They'll vouch for you to help speed up that getting to know you uh, attitude. And, but just getting out and providing services to people so they see a practical on-the-ground change in their life, that's huge. Right. Uh, 
law enforcement is a huge elephant in the room when it comes to difficulties with race across the country. Exactly. So I've spoken with former chiefs of police. I speak with police officers, black folks, white folks, men, women who are police officers. I talk to firefighters to tell me what they see about when they go someplace where the police are involved. I know a whole lot about the interaction that folks have. Yeah. Um, for starters, we've got a major crime problem in this town when you've got 90-plus people losing their life well before their time because of violent crime. That's serious. Yeah. It was serious when it was a decade-low 61 in 2016. That was still 61 people who lost their life before their time. Right. But it's gotten so bad, and I talked to folks in some of the neighborhoods that are have such a high density of these victimizations, these, these spaces where these crimes occur. And when you go out and you talk to them, and I don't go out and talk to them, you know, I, the, the night it happens where you've got everyone's like charged up about it. Right. Because I'm not the mayor yet. I'm not the chief of police. I'm not a police officer. Right. I got to let people do their job, be out there. But when you talk to these folks that open up, they want to have a police presence out there. Because I'll tell you what, someone who lives in 7805 or 07 or the majority of people in this entire parish yeah. can't afford to live in a gated community where they come up and they got to type in a code to get inside and they have enough money to pay for a security guard to drive around. I mean, you want to defund the police, the only people who got protection are the, are the richest of us all. Right. So first start I would do is take, create an assistant chief administrative position in the mayor's office that's completely over public safety. Would, would work with BRFD, EMS, and BRPD, and be a liaison to the other fire departments we have, because we got plenty between the volunteer fire department, St. George, East Side Fire Department, and be a liaison to the sheriff's office. But through their work with BRPD, have community meetings and talk directly with when hopefully we get to a time where we can have large groups of people get back together again, talk to large groups of people and make a presentation where I would be present. Leadership from the, the police department would be present. Mm. My public assistant chief administrative officer over public uh, safety would be present. And we would discuss, here's a map. Here's the crimes that are happening in this area. Here's the amount of gunshots fired that have been picked up by shot spotter technology. Here's the number of people who've been shot and didn't die. Here's enough. Here's every burglary. Here's all these things that are happening where you're at. And have professional police officers say, we know these are the methods in which to fight this crime. And let's have a frank conversation. Do y'all want us to fight crime? Because this is the way we know works. And have that discussion and say, look, are, are you bought into the methodology to fight crime? Because having police officers go out and watch, let's, let's call it what it is, the hundred and some shots fired on Plank Road and there's a crazy party with all these people together in the street yeah. and they're not wearing masks, they're not socially distanced, but that's, that's kind of over here. But to have all these folks get in a situation, when you listen to the tape, which I listened to that tape, I can tell the difference between calibers of weapons from when I hear the shots. There's multiple weapons being fired out there. When you get 100, it wasn't one gun that fired 100 shots. It's a variety of them. But when you had 
a party-like atmosphere that was getting later and later and later at night and more and more and more alcohol is consumed in a very public space. And you had, I've seen videos of that instance earlier in the night where people were doing donuts in the road and they're like holding weapons outside the window. Right. You got to have, have an interaction with people to say, hey, it's getting pretty hot out here meaning the tension level is going to build up because of the alcohol and what have you. Maybe we ought to cool it off, and maybe we ought to have, have folks. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. We exactly. can't be all here together in these amount of numbers of people because eventually you're going to get people who don't like each other are going to run into each other out here, and we don't want things to, to come to a head. Yeah, and, and, and with that, and I mean, you know, because we did bring up the police presence, so that was basically a lack of police presence. There was, in, there were police situation. officers out there, but from what I've heard, they were out there to observe, but not engage until things got to a point where they had no choice but to engage. And when the shots began to be fired, that's when they engaged. So more reactive than proactive. Exactly. And that's the thing. You can't save someone from being the victim of a crime if the way you interact with the community is to just wait until the crime happens and then go take a report. Now, do you think that they're, they're skittish about interacting because of the tension in the air Absolutely. between community and police? Absolutely. No, not between community and police. Between the current leadership and the very well-known community activists in this area that have made some decent amount of money selling ads on their podcasts and things like that. Not you, because it's your first one. It's but my first but, one. But, I... but sell, by having a very heated discussion about race mm -hmm. and having that be a touch point that gets people fired up so people want to see what the next thing is because, I mean, look, Fox News. Fox News can put something out that's totally to the right but gets people riled up and angry. Exactly. And if all you do is sit at home and you watch Fox News all day long in an echo chamber, you're waiting for the next thing to come out and you don't want to hear anything that disagrees with the way you think. So you keep watching Fox News. It can't penetrate the atmosphere. Correct. And, and you, and you do <clears> have <throat> people, you know, that lean more left or lean more of right. Course. Where of it's course. Like, now it's like, you can't even penetrate that atmosphere. I've said this from, from jump as well too. Um, cause you brought up defund the police. Mm -hmm. I hate that. I, I think that's a horrible choice of words mm -hmm. because I've read what they're trying to do and I understand what that is. But by saying defund the police, as far as from a marketing standpoint, I think it's a horrible choice of words because now the only thing people are hearing is you're, you're basically putting the police out of business and crime is going to, you know, people's imagination will go from here to there to all, you know, all over the place. I think it's horrible. I think if, if the goal is to try to create other services within mm -hmm. a police, mm -hmm. that sounds, you know, reasonable. Let, let, let's look at that. But as far as the term defund the police, and I've had discussions with, with people like this before, mm -hmm. I think that's a horrible, but that's my marketing mind well, looking see, at it like that. The, the that that's not going to fly. It's a, there's two general populations, and I know I'm overgeneralizing, but there's two general populations that, are, that stand by the terms defund the police. There's one that wants to take money from the police to get revenge against the police because mm -hmm. it's motivated by anger. And the name defund the police feeds their narrative, and they, they don't want to let go of that title. But folks that are standing for what you're talking about. And I would agree with you. You have another generalized group that, just like we were talking about, that want to see other services. Now, you cannot take 
I've talked to folks that are, um, I talked to somebody who's a 10 year veteran of social, being a, uh, a social, social worker. Right. And having the discussion, this is, this is, this is probably four weeks away from the George Floyd incident. And this defund the police idea is coming up. And it's primarily amongst folks that wanted that take the money away from the police for revenge issue. That was what was bubbling to the top. And because news wants to sell crazy stuff and they'd rather show a fire than show somebody winning a spelling bee and, because, and, and because negativity realize, sells. People don't realize with a 24-hour news cycle, they have to fill time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of it, they're going to have some of that, that footage on just repeat. They're going to, like you said, they want to sell the fire. So yeah. they're going to have the fire going for six hours straight to fill that time. Look, if you, I, I, I noticed this growing up. If you watch a car race, the highlights of a car race are going to be the seven wrecks that happened <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the, just the waving the checkered flag when they won. Right. That's going to be the story of that. And when, you, when we had a hockey team down here, people who didn't know the rules of hockey, the they wanted to see the fight. Right. And that's not necessarily part of the game of hockey. It's part of the game of hockey, but it's not that big. But, but that was what they—that was what put butts in the seats. That's all they saw on sports. Center. Exactly. They said, exactly. Oh, we got a hockey team now. Well, exactly. When, when do they fight? <clears throat> exactly. So you cannot take a a, a social worker that's may, maybe the best social worker ever, and put in a situation. I'll give you an actual situation that I wouldn't say I partook in, but I witnessed and made the phone call to the 389-2000 non-emergency number. Mm. I called BRPD because there was a woman whom I know is not a, is developmentally challenged, but she's older. And she was trying to cross diagonally Perkins Road at Essen at about 3 in the afternoon with all that traffic. It's hard enough to do it at one of the actual things, but diagonally. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, so I'm calling them like, look, she's going to get hit. Or somebody can avoid her and get in an accident, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to have to, one, have a vehicle that's got a siren and lights on to get you as quickly as possible to that location. Then you need to have that same type of vehicle be able to park in the road to make the other drivers stop driving through the area. That's th- Those practical things have to happen. And then, two, that officer will have to understand to keep a 20-foot distance from that person until they make a diagnosis of whether that person is dangerous to anyone who would try to interact with them. Because, right. look, you, got, you can go on YouTube and you can watch a guy walking down the street who's on PCP. At looking at what I saw in that video versus what I saw there, the, exactly the action the would look exactly the same. But when you approach... That situation to try to, all they're trying to do is remove that person from the roadway to get them out of danger, which is the other vehicles, and remove that person from causing a danger to the other vehicles. But if this person is going to snap and become violent right away, you need to have someone who's, who, who can can try to contain that. Now in, in London, they've got two layers of policing. There's one that's your police as we know it. Mm -hmm. And there's another uh, group that are that go through academy just like the police, but they don't have arresting powers. They're allowed to. Use, they have mace for self defense, and they wear uh, a button like an alert button, so that any police officers who are nearby can respond as quickly as possible if they need help. Mm-hmm. That's not always going to work. Sometimes they're going to have to go to a location with a police officer, but 
you need to have some folks who can address some of these problems that police can't solve. Someone who, who's trained to deal with someone, like you said, who, who may be uh, challenged in, in a certain way like that. So they don't know, you know, that woman that was crossing the street, she didn't know the gravity of the situation Correct. that she was Correct. in or placing other people in. Mm-hmm. Calling a cop out there, that may not be the best solution. To it's that the only, it's right now it's the only solution. Exactly. But that, so, and, and that's why I'm saying as far as just kind of, you know, bringing that that full circle is you 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 got i'll give you one more this is this is an instance that a police officer told me about there is a young man who lives with his folks probably 16 probably 15 16 years old who has schizophrenia Mm. and sometimes he starts skipping his medication maybe he misses one by accident and now his symptoms make him not want to take his medication because he's tapped into reality now because he's not in his medication and it gets to a point where the family it's now nighttime and the family needs help because he's getting loud he's he's he might throw something he might do something else and they need someone to help them manage the situation because they can't manage it on their own but when the police get the phone call this police officer like, this is going to be the eighth time I've been to that house this month. And no matter how many times I go out there, we're not solving the problem. I can't go out there and make this person take their medication. Right. I can't go out there and force medication on anybody. The coroner is the only person who has the right to, to hold, put somebody on a, a, a hold because they're a danger to themselves or somebody else. So we do need to have something that can go out there and help because if this family doesn't have the means to have a general practitioner or a regular doctor that they can see, and it's after hours, if these folks have been using the emergency room as their primary care physician, if they can't get him in a car or if no... If when, if they call 911 about this and the 911 operator asks, is anyone injured? No. It moves from EMS to, to whatever law enforcement agency covers that area. And if right. it's in the city, it's BRPD. So they go out and they'll know the family. And they just have to be in a situation where somebody talks to this person into taking some medication or get somebody else who could talk or be there in case something happens. And you've now... Not to say that it's not noble to be there and try to help this person, but when you're in a situation where you've got so few police officers that you only have four officers per district at any one time, and one of the officers is at that house for the eighth time this month, knowing that all the other seven times, I didn't really affect any positive permanent change. Something else has got to happen. There might be a crime happening somewhere else. that Now this person has to leave, and maybe something escalates because they left. Somebody, somebody, somebody's got to get in there and be able to affect. And I think the bridge center as a crisis intervention center, once that's up and running, that's going to be a huge tool to try to help this community. But at the same time, having a partnership, because when I went to San Antonio to look at their bridge center, their crisis intervention center, the thing that they said was most important, you've got to have buy-in with the police because the police are going to be, when you first start this, they're going to be the primary delivery system of people who need help to the place where help is given. Whether it be that person walking in the street, somebody else who maybe need to be detoxed from something that they're on, maybe some public drunkenness. But you know what? If this person gets arrested for public drunkenness, 
that might mark them for the rest of their life and, and ruin their career that they could have had a successful path. But taking them to some place where they could detox might be the best way to deescalate a situation and have them move forward in a more positive way and learn from the situation. Because I'll tell you what, getting picked up by a cop and taken to a bridge center and going and waking up in a situation like that, it'd be a real wake up call to a lot of people and other ways. It's, it's getting people connected with services. They might not have even known are available to them and get them into a continuum of care so they can be for their own accord, but for also society to be more productive. Now you may, you may mention, you know, like you said, uh, this might be the eighth time that this police officer maybe Mm -hmm. has even responded to a call like that. And it, it kind of makes me think about, you know, this is something else that was kind of like a hot topic last mm-hmm. year, uh, community policing. You know, mm-hmm. you have a lot of officers who may not even live in the area. If they're not from the area, mm-hmm. then they feel a little bit of a disconnect there. Do you feel that if more officers lived in the area that they policed, they would have a better connection and in turn could police better? The community is well. As, as I, the, a the more time that police officers have to interact with the community outside of the calls that they're on, that's going to make the relationship so much better. But I'll go back to the fact that we got 120 officers short right now. The number of officers we're supposed to have, and if you've got an active, if you've got a lot of criminal activity happening that's causing, that's getting a phone call where an officer is just stopping to just get a cup of coffee to help stay awake and stay alert. And they don't even have time going from call to call to even get to know the person on the other side of the counter they're buying the coffee from. That's, that's, to me, that's bad. Yeah. Look, it's nice that we have a group of police officers that are called community police officers that actually have an embroidery on their shirt, but every officer should be a community police officer. It shouldn't be a group of people. It should be every single officer should be able to get to know the community and the community should know who they are. It's very difficult to do that when you're so, when you're missing so many officers. I'll give you a prime example of, of when you have the right number of, when you have enough officers for them to interact with the community, you had, look, I was watching the, this was years ago, two years ago, ESPN covering the, world little league championships world series of little league and watch these little kids come out and their names on their back of their shirts and the announcer says i want you to look at the names of the back of their shirts that's not that kid's last name it's the last name of every one of the officers in their area that has come out and donated time to teach hitting ground balls, catching balls, or mowing the field, or all these officers that have come out and helped this, these little kids. And each one of these kids has, has taken one of the officers' last name, and that's what they're wearing on the back of their jersey. That's how are we going to have our police officers here have enough time to interact when they're in the bottom 10% of pay in the country. So they've got to go take another job working at a gas station or working at a a convenience store or working at a supermarket to pick up an extra four hours to supplement their income because they're paid in the bottom 10% in the country, which they, 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 they shouldn't have to. I mean, you know, when you, when you think of an officer, you think that's their career. Sure. As opposed to sure. now they have to go in moonlight and do security elsewhere. Or like sure. you said, have to go and pick up a shift at a grocery store just mm-hmm. to continue making ends meet. Sure. They should be able to focus on just being in that one career. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, so we, 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 have, we have talked about that. And, and I do um, I do like the answer as far as every officer should be considered a community officer. Absolutely. Because how, how do you 
gain the trust of the people that you're going to be around and the, if, if they don't know there you. are there are officers that live way on the east side of the parish that are up in district one in dixie and they've been there long enough they know the folks that live up there they know they interact with the business owners that are up there so much so that, you know, if they go one in particular met, has, knows the people so well that if, if, if this officer gets called to go to a bar fight at a bar and this is a white officer goes in and now somebody's get, had a little bit to drink or getting a little chippy, yeah. somebody else will go. No, no, they're cool because they they've, they've had enough time to meet people in the neighborhood knowing this isn't some hothead that's going to, you know go John Wayne on anybody, right. but is answering and going to get to the bottom of what's going on. A professional police officer, because there's nothing, there's nothing that's more damaging to good police officers than a bad police officer. And good police officers just need to have the opportunity to have the time to get to know people in the, com in their community. And if, 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 Every, if their shift from start to finish is running from place to place, and then when they do have time, when they're not running to a call, catching up on the paperwork that those calls create, they don't have time to really interact except for when they're on a call. Right. Now, you know, I, I, I kind of want to stay on the subject of policing and how they interact with people. Um, just last week, uh, the, the big story that was in the news was uh, the vote came up for the, the Sterling family. Mm -hmm. And we know that that was, I mean, that grabbed national headlines mm -hmm. when that happened in 2016. I mean, it was just bad. Certainly. Um, but there was a vote that came up about settling with the Sterling family. Um, talk about that a little bit as far as because uh, I, I saw that it was it, it was voted down okay I, w I was one of the folks that voted against it and I'll let me say this the the wording of the agenda item wasn't a settlement it wasn't as though the sterling heirs and their attorneys had come to terms with the parish attorney's office for five million dollars and then council was just approving that expenditure right this was an offer of judgment so it's it's as though we were just we we're had four council members that came up with five million dollars and threw that out there as something that the Sterling family's attorney and the, so they, they had nothing to do with with that at all. Not at all. They could they could have said no thanks, I'll pass. And at the same time, it would it would have been a five million dollar benchmark out there that would have been part of evidence of the trial that previously we had members of council or if council had voted in favor of that, that would be, that would have been part of the evidence going forward. But not to get too much into the there's a whole lot of stuff that we're told and not told, unfortunately, by the parish attorney's office that all the members of the council are the clients of the parish attorney's office. So there's a lot of stuff that if you go back and even look at some of the other council meetings where some council member will say, can I say this? Can I say this? And it's warned by the parish attorney that no, if, if one council member said something to reveal something that was said in an executive session, they'd be violating the attorney client privilege of the other 11 council members, right. which is why we have executive session. So there's a lot of discussions we have where we're together and we can ask questions of the parish attorney because in any legal proceeding going forward the client and the attorney you have an opportunity to speak where it's not necessarily made widely known because there's a lot of stuff that the public wants to know and i absolutely understand why the public wants to know what it is but the other 
party on the other side of the lawsuit is other member of the public and they'll also be hearing what we're having as far as right. a discussion which is why long before anybody was currently on the council the executive session was created so that the the clients of the parish attorney could have a confidential meeting with the parish attorney to get information in one space and have a lot of questions because if you get in any group of people and you've got an expert in a field Somebody may ask a question that makes you think of a question you didn't necessarily have if you'd went and visited with them by themselves. It might jar some some other question you may have. So there's a lot more information that I think each council person needs to hear. Mm. And there's a whole lot of folks who are very concerned about the lack of information. Lack of information is being voluntarily given to council from the parish attorney's office. I think I think there's a lot of stuff that we need to know, and. Given that vote the other night as an offer of judgment, that would not have any way, shape, or form would have ensured any kind of settlement or end of the case by any means. But there were so many questions that came up about certain pieces of paperwork or certain things that should have been reported that weren't offered to council members that we need to know. And I'm not an attorney. Until I had people, attorneys in the community that said, hey, did you all get this X, Y, Z? And I'm like, no, I didn't get X, Y, Z. Why wouldn't I have gotten that? And I'm only hearing about this three hours before the meeting we're talking about. So you heard in the meeting that Councilwoman Banks tried to set up a meeting to speak with the parish attorney and was denied access to have a meeting with the parish attorney when by the plan of government, council as a whole and each individually is the boss of the parish attorney. So to have your direct employee deny, whether it's me or whether it's it's Chana, that's not right to be denied a meeting with your with your your attorney representation. Right. So there's a whole lot of stuff that still needs to be worked out as far as the process on our end to get our ducks in a row. And because the way the the story was framed, sure. and you know, like I said, we're we're just kind of you know dialoguing about this but the way the story was exchanged and i you know from what i was reading uh councilwoman banks was trying to say that this is something that they want to get cleared up before the new year and 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 that was her motivation but from what you're telling me just now the family had zero to do with what was being proposed they very well may have liked the idea of of the five million dollar mark we had we had no knowledge ahead of time there was no meeting where people said where anyone signed anything that if council will approve this then it's done there none of that existed so none of that existed. you could have easily still been open to something else absolutely they could have come back and said no we want 10 no we want 12 it wouldn't it wouldn't have ensured any guarantee that there would have been any any uh, closure to this by by voting for that sticking kind of on the 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 aftermath of the Alton Sterling story mm-hmm. um, knowing what we know now we've you know ad nauseum we've we've we, we've read we've seen video mm-hmm. we've seen you know the video was plastered all over the world mm-hmm. in your opinion do you feel the officer that murdered Mr. Sterling um, handled that situation properly 
Well, I'll tell you, you use the word murder, and I would like to say, I, obviously he killed Alton Sterling. Mm. Murder being something that's like an intention to go to commit bodily harm, to end someone's life. There's a definition with that. I don't necessarily think that, that anyone arrived at that location with the intent of anyone losing their life. I don't think that at all. Okay. I don't think Alton Sterling intended to kill anyone when he apparently motivated someone to call about him showing a gun, and so the other person felt threatened. I don't think Alton Sterling was trying to, you know, w- would have escalated to that necessarily. I know Howie Lake showed up and wasn't doing anything that was going to take it to that level. I don't think Officer Salamone was going to, or former Officer Salamone was going to take it to that situation. But and and just 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 viewing the video, I believe the interaction between. Uh, Officer Lake and Alvin Sterling, mm-hmm. it seemed like Lake had the situation under control. Unless I unless I have the officers confused, the the first officer that was the there. first officer there was Officer Lake. That's okay. correct. So the video that I saw of Salamone, he comes in and he seems, again, my opinion, rather aggressive. Mm-hmm. I feel like Officer Lake had the situation under control before Salamone showed up. And it seemed like his presence extra, you know, kind of intensified the situation in a sense. And like I said, I know he's he's a former officer now. Both of them are former officers now. Okay, but I I, I do feel that Lake had the situation under control. From my recollection, and it's look, I'll say this: I've watched the video, mm-hmm. but it's been some time since I watched the video. Because right now, what I'm trying to go through, I'm trying to. What we're trying to do as counsel is to figure out what are the legal ramifications. And, and then, unfortunately, the law puts certain dollar amounts on certain activities that happen and all this kind of stuff. So I've, I've, I've got to learn all those moving parts. And like I said, I'm not an attorney. So I've got there's a lot for me to learn. Yep. And to have an attorney walk in that's not their expertise and learn it, they're at a much higher level than I am coming in and even learning the base ground to go up to this so that it's been some time since I watched it, but I can, I can picture in my mind what you're talking about. But if you have a situation where officer Lake is trying to get someone to do something and there's not an opportunity for Lake and Salamone to communicate with one another and Salamone comes right out and may think that officer Lake is in danger or something like that. I can't tell you what was going through Blaine Salamone said when he got out of that car and approached the situation. Sure. Nobody can. Only he can. So, I mean, you've heard what the police chief said about Officer Salamone. Um, I'll tell you what, it's, it's unfortunate when anyone loses their life. Um, could it have been different? I think everyone in, that's involved would have liked it to have ended differently. Absolutely. If, if someone's loss of life could have been avoided, I think that would have been the choice everyone made because I don't think necessarily that was the solution that was certainly not the best for Alton Sterling, certainly not the best for his family, but certainly I don't know if it would be... I, I, I just don't think that that's, that was the intention when, when folks came out there. I don't think that was the intention when officer, former Officer Salamone went out there. And when everything happened in the very short amount of time and we all have the, the benefit of going back, as you said, it's all over the Internet and people can watch it over and over and over and over again. And not to make this seem petty at all, but there's a lot of people on Monday morning will talk about what Drew Brees should have done on like Sunday. So to have all that happen in so few seconds 
and for either one of us to not know what was going through his head. But I, I, th- I don't believe for a, for a second that any officer shows up to a situation saying, I'm going to shoot this person. I think they get into a situation and it moved very fast. And I'm not a trained police officer either. And I've never been, I've only been the victim of violent crime. I've never been an officer who's going to break up violent crime. Right. So to say that he, he was or wasn't acting in the scope of what he's, what he's supposed to do, that's part of the trial that's going on with both of those officers right now. And I think that would be the determination from both BRPD experts and, and Officer Salamone and Officer Salamone's attorney. And, and, and the city is, is party to that lawsuit as well in so much as with, where the contract is to defend you know, an officer in that situation. But how this comes out in the court it may very well come out against Officer Salamone. It may come out that Officer Salamone acted in a way that's outside of the scope of training, and then he would end up owing possibly the city for his legal defense plus be on the hook for the $5 million rather than the city be on the hook for the $5 million. So there's so many moving parts right now that are in the hands of the court. Okay. Now, um, kind of shifting gears a little bit, um, with you running for mayor, I kind of want to revisit that. So EBR has been considered like a a democratic stronghold almost, you know, Mm -hmm. we've, uh, mayor Holden served what three terms, Mm -hmm. uh, mayor broom is in end of her first term. term. How does a Republican come in and try to break that stronghold? Well, for starters, I I am a Republican, but I don't think that ideology is the way we solve anything. And and the reason why I'm bringing sure, it up to it because politics has become so tribal. Oh my I, goodness, I, I, I has think, it ever? I think has Democrats and Republicans have have almost, um, to me, in my opinion, when I see Democrat Republican, I see Crips and Bloods almost because it's like I've never seen a time where. And again, me, you, you and I talked before mm-hmm. we even started filming. I said sure. my favorite subject in school was history. Mm-hmm. I don't remember a time where it was this tribal, where it's like, I can remember when Hurricane Sandy hit, and at the time, President Obama went to Jersey, mm-hmm. and the Republican Party threw Chris Christie away for taking a picture with the guy, and mm-hmm. he's dealing with a natural disaster. To me, that was a level of petty I've, I've never seen in politics before, where it's like, it's a natural disaster, the president comes in to try to help and you you throw the guy away because he's photographed with him. Whether you like a president or not, whether it's Barack Obama or whether it's Donald Trump or, or whoever, it, whatever it is, that that that's a lifeline for you to get federal funding to help exactly. you in a disaster. That's that that even if you want to just think about it, I'm going to swallow my pride because a check is coming. Right. You know, you need to do that to get along to help your constituents. And I'll tell you what, that's. That's what needs to happen. The federal level is absolutely the worst when it comes to this tribalism stuff. Because I'll tell you what, you know, Lindsey Graham and I remember, I can't remember who the, it was an ardent Republican and ardent Democrat. And they disagreed on the floor. They fought all the time, but they go have dinner with each other all the time. Their wives were good friends and they they were friends with each other all the time. Mm -hmm. I would like to see that. But the thing is, the reason that stuck in my mind, just like that macaroni stain on, <laughs> on that book report, is because I can count that one instance on one finger. It should be, the, the, the reverse should be the exception to the rule. Right. 
So and I don't see any reason, really, I'll make this statement, and I've made it before. I don't see any reason why we have political parties other than the fact of having a brand like Coke or Pepsi or something like that on people at a municipal level when it comes to Metro Council people and even the mayor to have so much onus of saying, oh, you're this party, you're this party, and therefore I can define you based on what everyone else that has that same letter next to their name does. The council people and the mayor are, the job is a glorified custodian or superintendent for the area because we are solving. I've never heard it described. We are solving problems on the ground. Look, if you live in an apartment complex and the toilets weren't flushing and the lights in the hallway weren't working, the elevator was broken. If the superintendent fixed all that stuff, would you give a damn whether they were Republican or Democrat? No, because their job is to fix stuff. And that's what should happen. And what happens is when people get get riled up in petty politics, that's when the elevator stays broken an extra six months. That's when the lights don't flicker and don't get a bulb replaced. That's when it takes eight months for... Yeah, exactly, exactly. Could be. But, you know, we have folks in our community that pay taxes every day. They go buy a pair of shoes, there's sales tax on Whether they pay property tax or not, we've got folks that pay a humongous amount of sales tax. And it's a reg- sales tax is a regressive tax, so it hits people who are, are, have, are in a lower economic strata more than, more than people in a higher economic strata because they spend so much more of what they earn on what they need to survive. Right. Groceries, food, you know, shoes, clothes, rent, stuff like that. Like, like the, the necessities of life make up the vast majority of what their paycheck is. So those folks, I would say it's so much, it's, it's, it's almost a, it's a, I don't want to say like a national defense sort of thing, like, you know, but, but these folks need to get the services that they deserve because they're paying so much more out of how much they get in pay toward the budget and receive so much less out of the budget. And you don't just go and go, oh, well, I'm going to go pave your road. Well, okay, well, you paved a road that went by a bunch of buildings that don't have roofs and all this kind of stuff, and there's a bunch of crime in the neighborhood. How about solve those problems? Because right. the road is drivable. But I realize it's election time, so let's go pave the road so everybody can see this fancy road. But the sidewalks are busted up, and, the, and, and, and if it rained, it, you wouldn't be able to see the road anyway because it would be under a foot of water. Mm-hmm. That's not a solution. You need to go out and... Have equitable spending based on what people are paying in, but have it be make all the sense in the world of solving the problems that the folks in in certain areas need to get fixed. So to me, did that sound like a Republican answer? Did that sound like a Democratic answer? I don't think it sounded like either one. It's a it's a practical answer. And that's that's what I stand for, because, look, ideology is ideology is an argument and sometimes it's a petty argument and maybe that's some you know the ideology is what people complain about and, and argue about over thanksgiving dinner but if there's no food for thanksgiving or the house has fallen down or somebody couldn't make it because they got shot on the way to thanksgiving what difference does ideology have to do with anything you got to fix the practical problems that affected what happened and to me 
practical change on the ground in our community and getting started and getting moving really quick before we get into a situation where we lose businesses and we can't bring businesses in because you can't work in Baton Rouge if there's no work in Baton Rouge. You've got to make the place ready to have people work. You've got to have, you've got to train the people that live here to, to, to be part of a 21st century workforce to plug in because I mean, if people can be out there working and making a living, they're going to feel better about themselves. They're going to own the change in their community. If you can make people part of the change in their community, they're going to own it. They're going to defend it. And they're going to feel better about their lives. And they're going to take it to that next level. If we can change, if, if we can build affordable housing in North Baton Rouge, for example, and change that area that is so much held where it is economically because it's a rental economy rather than a wealth building through equity building home ownership economy you're keeping people at the same level rather than have them pay the same amount of money they pay in rent in a mortgage to own a house and then it's like they're putting in a savings bank and now that changes the way people think about life changes the way they think about future and when you've got young kids coming up saying, I may never make 28, so I'll make decisions based on there maybe no tomorrow. Those are the kind of people who get either involved in crime or don't fight the peer pressure to get involved in crime. And th that's no way to run a city. That's no way to that's no way to give an example to the people who live here. So I don't think any of the things I've said were Republican or Democrat. No. I, th I think all of that is fixing stuff. I mean, should your shoes untied? Tie the shoe. That's it. No discussion about That's it. That's it. Now I did have um, I have one more point that sure. I, I want to I want to bring up, and this is something that you know I've I've, I've looked at. Um, actually, uh, we actually covered it on one of our previous programs we produced. Um, the the current Secretary of State. Mm -hmm. Um. He is in a position that's different for a lot of, you know, politicians. A lot of people don't realize that the secretary of state, as far as in Louisiana, um, he can he, he can be affiliated with a party. And I'm bringing mm. this up because we, we were just talking sure. about party sure. affiliation. Um, but there's a state statute that says that they can't campaign for anyone else outside of themselves. They can't mm. appear at campaign rallies. Mm. Uh, during the last governor's election, um, our current secretary of state showed up at a rally for Eddie Responi. Mm -hmm. He's on camera. Okay. And he's verbally hyping the crowd up saying, hey, you know, we're going to win with this guy. We're going to win with that guy. Does that put our election process, um, does, it, does it taint it a bit when the chief elections officer is openly doing things in that nature that could potentially, you know, and, and I would hate for it to, to get down to a point where now people don't have faith in the votes that were counted because now they're looking at tape of him endorsing mm -hmm. candidates. Mm -hmm. So, you know, pe people are already conspiracy theorists. I don't yeah. want people to feel like, oh, he, he tipped this, he, he, he put his finger on the scale. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on, on that? Well, for starters, and I, 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 if you say that he did this, I, I believe you. I believe you. I haven't seen the, the tape. I mean, I wasn't. I'll show it to you when we, when we oh, finish. Oh, that's that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. I mean, you can send a link to me. I'll, I'll look at it. I'll look at it when we're done here. I don't. I don't disbelieve you that it happened. But I wasn't aware that it happened. So this is the first time hearing of it. 
as far as the rules and regulations on Secretary of State and what, what, what limits Kyle Ardwan's behavior as far as politicking, I mean, I know that civil servants are limited by the Hatch Act, that they can't go out and politic. And, you know, Kyle Ardwan's at a much higher level with a lot of eyes on him. Uh, so I would need to, I would need to, you know, I'm not going to put my foot in my mouth here and, and make a comment one way or another. But, you know, if that's the case where they can't go do something like that, I can understand why somebody might feel like the fix is in. But at the at the same time, you've got the governor who can come in from an, from the other party, come in and sort of regulate some of the stuff that Carl Arnwan does. And there's a lot of checks and balances within that. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about mail-in ballots and things of that nature, because that's the reality of, of where we're at right now. Right. And whether it's whether it's going to help one party or another, I'm telling you right now, the mail system is horrible right now. Who are you telling I'm just saying. Oh, I, I'm I'm fully aware. <laughs> I mean, I got I got something sent to me from uh, from Doug Wellborn's office about just information about the candidacy, and it was sent certified mail. And the mail carrier ripped off where I was supposed to sign to prove that I'd received it and shoved it through the mail slot. Oh, I've I've there, there's been that's numerous... if I got the mail exactly. The, the... There have been numerous stories where mail carriers just dumped the mail off on, 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 Espl on Esplanade. That's that's part of my district. So I got a I got a Facebook message that had photographs of somebody was building a house mm. or they're remodeling a house. And they had a roll off dumpster in their front yard, and somebody the, the explanation was one of the workers dumped a bucket of debris into the roll off because it's taller than this person was dumped it in yeah. and said wait a minute my hammer's in there so he goes up in there to get the hammer and notices there's all this mail including people's energy bills and credit card bills and all this kind of stuff think about how that messes up maybe somebody's credit yeah. maybe maybe it could mess up somebody getting their electricity turned off or something like that because the mail carrier just dumped it so I've, I've, I wish there was a better way, a more trusted way of conveying uh, a message one way or another. And people make the, the, the comment all the time. It's like, take, take $100 out of your wallet and mail it to yourself. Do you think you're going to get it back? No. Or would you try? Not. You may or may not. But would you rather keep it in your pocket? If you had to go, if you needed to go pay a bill with $100 and the place was down the street, would you rather take the $100 down there yourself or would you rather mail it? I'm, I'm you know, taking it. Exactly. Every, every I've had some communication back and forth, even where someone did a two a two day flat letter rate and sent me a the receipt, a picture of the receipt. And it's it, the letters just disappeared. I've, I've, I've had some interesting things with the with, with the Postal Service. Yeah, well, I, I'll say that. I'll tell you, it's it right now with COVID and wanting to make sure that everyone gets the opportunity to vote and that every every vote counts. And every vote is recorded right now with COVID and the difficulties that are going to happen at each polling location and the, the, all the moving parts right now to try to solve those issues to make sure that we have as transparent and open an election process as possible. I'm telling you right now, I don't know enough to, to be in that situation. I do not envy Carl Ardwan at all to be in that situation no or anyone else that's going to have to take on that responsibility because who's to say that the night of the election we're going to get some results and then we're going to have a bunch of mail-in ballots that the, that the result may swing the other way after two, three days. They're already predicting it's going to take probably until the end of December before we actually really? I had not I had not heard that length of time. And I, th that that makes me just like 
nervous because I'm like, wait a minute, this, you know, if it's, we got, it, it's, so, it's so much stuff. If we got people angry doing stuff in cities, destructive stuff in cities right now, if there are people doing destructive stuff in cities right now, are they going to be motivated to do something else because of that window of and mistrust of the outcome? Yeah. Are people going to think the fix is in? Are people going to say, oh, this is this is getting removed? Are people going to argue? And how heated is that going to get after people have been, you know, shut up away from each other and away from activities? Think about kids not being in school. Think about people who had the outlet of sports and things like that. I mean, not just watching sports, but yeah, going but, and playing yeah, going, sports. Exactly. You know, not having that ability to do so. And now we get in a something like that that's so highly contested with with again with parties that are so tribalized as you rightfully say i i just i just i just pray for peace i pray for patience and i pray for accuracy in all of this because that's the only that's the only way that we can get it through and then doing stuff in such a transparent way that you can get as many people as possible to to believe in the system because it's been as transparent as it could possibly be to try to keep people from and taking this to another level of I don't believe it and I'm going to solve things myself because taking the law into your own hands usually ends up in a bad way. This is true. I think that's where we're going to leave it. Um, Councilman Watson, Watson, I do appreciate you coming, being a part of the very first episode of Table Talk. This was a very interesting conversation. It was enlightening. And I appreciate you not shying away from any of the questions that I've asked. You you tackled them head on. So you lived up you know, to, to, to what I read about you. Your well, reputation you. definitely preceded you of, of, of someone who gets in there and gets their hands dirty and just does the work. I appreciate the depth of questions you brought. I really, I really appreciate the give and take that we've had. Thank you very much. And I appreciate you creating a show like this. And I'm sure I'll be seeing you talking to some other people and having some great conversations. I hope so. And, uh, once we get a couple more episodes under our belt, I'm going to have to definitely invite you back. Wonderful. I'll be here. All right. Well, I appreciate you all for listening, watching, and we'll be back next time. Thanks. Thanks.